Welcome to Overflowing Bookshelves, a podcast for people who love the written word. Could you spend hours browsing through a bookstore? Is your happy place curled up under a blanket with a good book, or perhaps writing a story of your own? Are you constantly adding to your to-be-read list, even though your bookshelves are already overflowing? If so, this podcast is for you. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with published authors about their creative processes, paths to publication, and advice for living your most fruitful and inspired life. I'm your host, Dallas Woodburn, and I am absolutely delighted that you are here with us today. I am the author of the short story collection, Woman Running Late in a Dress, and the YA novel, The Best Week That Never Happened. I'm also a professional book coach, and I am passionate about helping people give birth to their own unique stories. You can connect with me at my website, dallaswoodburnauthor.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at dallaswoodburnauthor. Without further ado, let's dive into today's interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Overflowing Bookshelves. My debut YA novel, The Best Week That Never Happened, was published on April 21st by Month 9 Books and Blackstone Audio. It's available as paperback book, an ebook, and an audiobook. It is such a thrill to have it out in the world and to hear from readers who are connecting with the storyline and the characters. I held a virtual book launch on April 26th, and I was joined virtually by my friends Toby Easton and Jenica Cohen, who are young adult authors that you might remember from episodes two and three of this podcast. I'm delighted to share our conversation with you now as well as some behind-the-scenes tidbits about my brand new book. I hope you'll enjoy this really wonderful episode of Overflowing Bookshelves. So this book, if I were to summarize it in a sentence, I like to say that it, it is a love story set in Hawaii with a dash of mystery and magic about living each day to the fullest. And it is in the young adult genre, but I've been really delighted to hear from a lot of readers who say that they have never read a young adult book before, or they don't normally think of themselves as young adult readers who really enjoy the book. Um, Actually, even my 93-year-old grandfather is currently reading it. Um, Thanks, Gramps. So I hope that people of all ages really enjoy it. Um, And the idea for this um, novel... um, came to me when I was at a really low period of my life. Um, I actually wasn't writing very much. Um, I had lost one of my closest and dearest friends um, in a car accident, uh, Celine, uh, at the age of 26. Um, It was so sudden, and I was just deep in grief. I was totally lost, and um, I didn't see the point of writing anymore. I mean, what's why do you care about mining the psyches of your characters when one of your closest friends has just passed away. Um, so I was really, I was really struggling, uh, with, I guess, finding my purpose, um, and finding out like why I should even continue writing. And, um, and it was a few months after she passed away, probably like six months, um, when I just got this idea for the story and, um, it wouldn't leave me alone. It just, stuck in my brain and um, 
it just really captivated me. And um, I almost think that maybe Celine sent me the idea. Um, but I, I started writing again and um, I got to know these characters and followed their story along. And I didn't even realize it while I was writing the first draft. Um, I only realized it when I went and read through it after I'd completed the book. Um, that I was I was writing about Celine. I mean, she's really present in the book, and I was making my way through a lot of my grief and my pain and my sadness and my anger, and letting those emotions out onto the page. Um, and so, this book is really has been a, a journey for me, um, both as a writer, but also just you know as a person. And I think it's it's just shown me how the creative process can be really healing. Um, and so, it's just so beautiful to have the book out in the world now and um, just hear that it's resonating with people and um, and bringing emotion up in other people. I, I just really hope that Celine would be really proud of it. Um, so one thing that's been fun to hear from some people who who know me or know some details of my life is they um, will find little like Easter eggs in the book. So in the same way that in video games, sometimes designers will hide little Easter eggs um, in my writing. I don't intentionally do it normally. Um, it just kind of comes out little details from my own life that make their way onto the page. Um, I guess sometimes things are intentional, like the last name of my main character, Tegan. Her last name is Rossi which was actually my great grandma's uh, name on my mom's side. So I intentionally like to sometimes put little things like that in there. Um, but often other details come in that I'm not even like consciously aware of. But then it can be fun to have those little personal things in the book. And when friends read it or family members read it, they say, oh, I found this little Easter egg. Okay, <laughs> saying page 55. Um, so I wanted to share a little bit, a few of them with you, just to kind of bring you into the fold of the behind the scenes um, about the book. And Sarah just is giving a quick reminder. Um, we have some comments come up that just say Facebook user. If you go to streamyard.com slash Facebook, you can just give um, StreamYard permission so that we can see your name and we know um, who is making the comments. Oh, thank you, Julie. So I have here seven little things from my life that are in the best week that never happened, little Easter eggs to share with you. Um, the first one is that Kai has a dog that he talks about with Tegan named Makana, um, who is a grizzled boxer dog. And if any of you ever met my grizzled boxer dog, Murray, um, I'm going like, to start crying, but he passed away last year. Um, but Makano is definitely a nod to my dog, Murray, our family dog, who um, was just such a vibrant source of life and joy and laughter in our lives. So it was fun to get to put Murray in the book in that way. Um, the second thing is that Kay was saying on page 55, uh, Tegan is looking at Kai's bookshelf. And that was a fun opportunity for me to get to put some little Easter eggs in there, thinking about what books do I want to put on Kai's bookshelf. Um, the first one, To Kill a Mockingbird, is probably my favorite book of all time. Um, so I wanted Kai to have that book too. Um, there's also a book on there, Strawberries in Wintertime, that is a book written by my, my dad, 
Woody Woodburn. He's a um, wonderful writer. He's a journalist, newspaper columnist. He writes books as well. And Strawberries in Wintertime is his book um, of columns uh, that he's written of, of nonfiction essays. That is wonderful. So that is on the shelf. And then also The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake. That is um, a book written by one of my dearly um, beloved creative writing professors that I had when I was a student at USC, um, Amy Bender. She's fabulous, and her book is fabulous. Uh, so that is also on Kai's shelf as well. Um, number three, another little uh, inside for people who have ever met my husband. Um, Kai, in the book, is obsessed with sour gummy candy. If you've met my husband, he can put that stuff away. He loves sour gummy candy. Um, and especially there are these sour rainbow belts that Kai alludes to, um, that my husband still talks about that he found when we were in Hawaii before. Um, oh, Hey Sharon. Sharon also loves Amy Bender. Thanks for being here, Sharon. Um, okay. Number four. In the book, uh, Kai and Tegan go to a restaurant called The Blue Oasis. And this is actually a real restaurant on the Big Island. It's based on a place called um, The Blue Dragon. And it's a really neat restaurant. And as soon as I went there, I just I wanted to put it into a story. Um, and also, Tegan orders something called The Living Salad, which is something that my sister-in-law, Allison, ordered there. And it was so cool. I just had to put it in a book. Um, so when you get to that part of the story, that is actually a real restaurant and a real dish you can order there. Uh, number five, um, Tegan tells a story about uh, a stranger paying for her family's dinner when she was a little girl uh, growing up um, and how they didn't know who paid for it um, in the restaurant and it so it could have been anyone so it was everyone and it just made her feel like the world was a more generous place and that actually is something that happened to my family when I was little we were at a restaurant and we were waiting for the check and waiting for the check my brother and I were quite little so to us it felt like an eternity um that the waiter wasn't coming back and then finally the waiter came back and he told us that the reason he hadn't brought the check was because um a random act of kindness, a person in the restaurant had thought we looked like a really nice family enjoying a meal and and paid for our dinner. And he wanted, didn't want us to know, I guess, who he or she was, it could who he or she was. And so um, they left before uh, they told us. And so that was just, it really stuck with me. And um, it's something that I've been trying to do uh, since then. Like, it's just a fun, random act of kindness to do, um, especially if, I'm ever in a restaurant and I see um, someone who has served our country in the military. Um, I like to try to pay for their meal, but in secret is the best way to do it. Um, number six, I saw my cousin Amanda already alluded to this in the comments uh, on the popsicle sticks uh, that Kai and Tegan have towards the end of the book when they have these uh, quotes on them. So instead of jokes, they have um these quotations on them. And one of them is make each day your masterpiece, which is one of my favorite quotes of all time. Uh, it was said by John Wooden, the late great UCLA basketball coach, um, who we actually got to meet when I was little. My dad is a sports columnist and we got to meet him. It was just truly 
astounding. Um, he is one of the best people I've ever met. And I just love that idea of making each day a masterpiece. So I wanted to include that in the book. And then the other quote is fortune favors the bold, um, which is another one of my favorite quotes by Virgil. So that was fun to put those in there. And then the last one, um, last little Easter egg I want to tell you is, um, I mentioned my friend Celine, who um, really inspired this book and who is in the book, um, just her spirit. And uh, Kai's family boat that Kai and Tegan go on is called Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Um, but Lucy is spelled L-U-C-I-E. And that was Celine's middle name. So that is just my little tribute to her um, directly. It was nice to be able to um, name that boat after her. So those are some Easter eggs. There are others. Um, if you find others in there, you know, you can message me. It's always fun to see people finding little Easter eggs in the book. But now I'm really excited to move into our Q&A portion. So I'm really happy and thrilled uh, to welcome two of my dear friends for, with me today. The first is Toby Easton. She's the author of the Murr Chronicles. And um, I just love her work. She's a wonderful human being. Hey, Toby. Hey. And if, if anyone listens to my podcast, you can listen to an interview with her, um, episode two of the podcast as well. And then I'm also really happy to have Jenica Cohen here too. She wrote the amazing book, Dangerous Alliance. And she is also such a lovely person and she's interviewed on my podcast episode three. So <laughs> if you want to hear interviews with them after, um, you can listen to the podcast and I would highly recommend their books as well. I know we are all looking for some good quarantine reading right now and you cannot miss with the Murr Chronicles and with Dangerous Alliance. So thank you both so much for being here. We're so excited. Hi, we're so happy to Thanks be here for having with you. Yay. Thank you. We have, we have all so sorts excited. of great questions for you. Yes, I'm so excited. We do. And I've got my my like Hawaiian inspired dress and my little plant. And, I love uh, it. And even some Hawaiian tea because I was like, you know, I wish we could be in Hawaii right now. Actually, yeah. that would be great. But yeah, you know, we're virtually um, in there. No, and I have my I have a really like so, bright. Anyway, we've got water. lots of great questions. Yeah, no, I, and I, I went for my like super bright sweater um, to celebrate, but it, it doesn't look quite so bright with this lighting, but you have to believe me, it's like neon orange. <laughs> I like it. It's perfect. So um, we'll take so. a second and introduce ourselves and then we'll uh, dive in. And we have we have so many great questions about this book. We're so excited um, to share so many behind the scenes tidbits with everyone. Um, so I'm Toby Easton. Hi, I'm the author of the Murr Chronicles series. And um, the first thing that I wanted to ask is every book has some kind of starting point. And you talked a little bit about where you were coming from when you started this book and that it kind of it came from, you know, this place of grief for you, um, which I think it's so beautiful to be able to create this wonderful new thing out of a tragedy. Um, and I really, you know, I admire you so much for that. And um, I know I had read uh, in a blog post you did that you said that at the time you didn't even really realize that that's what you were doing. So then I wanted to know when you actually started, kind of what was the seed of the idea? Because I know like for me, when I sat down to write uh, the Mer Chronicles, I just thought I had this thought while I was swimming that was like, what if mermaids lived on land? Right. And it was that question. And like, once that question occurred to me, that's 
where that all, where it all started for me. So I guess like, where did it all start for you? What was that initial seed? Yeah. For me, the, I usually start with character. Um, but for this one, the scene of the, the opening scene of the book where Tegan wakes up in these lava tubes in Hawaii and she has no recollection of how she got there. That was this opening image that came to me. Um, and, and then also I just had this idea kind of about this idea of like the best week, this idea of, of, of like a best week of someone's life. Um, and so that was also just sort of the seed that was planted. Uh, and then I also, um, love Hawaii. And I think that some of the, just the images of Hawaii, um, the manta rays especially was, uh, this, uh, image or scene that was kind of pulling me through the book for a lot of the writing. Interesting. I love the manta ray scene. That's really, it's really interesting. And also like, I mean, I won't give anything away, but it's sort of like a pivotal scene. And um, it's, it's a good way to show like what great friends Kai and Tegan become, you know, the main characters of your book. And so let's, uh, I want to ask about you have, you know, they have a long distance relationship or a friendship that they ter- that become something more in the course of the novel. So what was the inspiration for their relationship? Yeah, I, I love the idea of, um, I guess, long distance, either friendships or relationships, uh, because a lot of my close friendships um, are people that I don't get to see in person, you know, nearly as much as I wish I could. Um, friends from college, from grad school, growing up in my hometown, I think, I have a lot of relationships that are really sustained on um, phone calls and, and video calls and emails. And I, I think I've been really touched and um, just happy to see how those relationships can continue to deepen and grow stronger um, over time, even when you're not seeing someone in person all of the time. Um, and then also my husband and I, we had a summer when we were long distance and we were dating, uh, when he went out to New Orleans for this, um, internship. And, uh, I was thinking about that a little bit when I was writing too. Um, but then it was really fun to kind of have all of this buildup where they hadn't seen each other in such a long time. And then the book starts and, you know, they're, they're together in person again. And so, um, just thinking about what that would be like to be reunited, to be with this person again that you haven't seen for so long. There's a lot of excitement there, but there's also some anxiety and some fear and um, potential awkwardness. And so it was uh, it was a nice relationship, a nice like, situation to be able to mine as a writer. That's really interesting. And I I think that one of the things that really stands out about this book is not only their relationship, but almost how the setting becomes its own character. Like Hawaii is such this, is this just really rich and vivid setting. And so I wanted to know um, kind of what came, went into your decision to set it in Hawaii. And, um, you know, clearly you were talking about you put in some real places and things like that to really get that vivid feel. But where did that kind of start? Yes, thank you for saying that the setting becomes a character. I, I love that. And that was my hope uh, for the story was that you would feel really immersed as you're reading. I also really wanted to make sure that I portrayed Hawaii in an authentic way, in a respectful way. Um, in addition to traveling there myself, I did a lot of research. And on my website, I actually have um, a list of some of my favorite books by Native Hawaiian authors that I read and loved uh, during the process of writing this book that I would really recommend. Um, I do, I, I think 
a lot of my process, as I talk about it, I'm you know realizing isn't always very conscious. So I didn't have the thought like I'm going to set a book in Hawaii. Um, it more just kind of sprung up the the story idea sprung up, and it was set in Hawaii. It was just an integral part of it. And um, reflecting on it now, I think I grew up by the beach. I grew up in a a beach town called Ventura in Southern California. So I love the beach. I find myself writing about the beach often. Um, and then Hawaii, <coughs> um, sorry, I need to get more of my drink. I'm not used to talking so much. <laughs> I'll type in and say that I have a couple cousins who lived in Ventura for a while when I was a kid. And so oh, we used to visit them there. Yeah. Ventura, 805. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love Ventura. Um, yeah. And then so, but also ref- as I reflected on it, I think um, just Hawaii is an important place for me. I say this in the acknowledgements, but in the same way that it's an important place for Tegan in the book, like emotionally, um, my my grandma who passed away when I was five, she loved Hawaii and they traveled, my grandfather and her traveled there often. And always when I think of her like in heaven, I just kind of imagine her in Hawaii. Um, and then my friend Celine, I don't know if this also woke wove its way into my subconscious that we um, had talked about wanting to go to Hawaii together. We never made it together, but um, she did travel there shortly before she passed away. And so I don't know if those are some reasons that the story just sprung up in my head out of Hawaii, but I've really been um, really happy to hear from people who say that Hawaii feels so real in the book. It feels authentic. Like even some people who, um, you know, live in Hawaii, were born in Hawaii, have have given me wonderful uh compliments about that. And so that makes me just feel really happy. That's great. Yeah. I, I grew up like going on vacation to Hawaii pretty often. And so I love what you've done because it just, it was like reminding me of my own life. And when I used to go there and have make friends and then go home and you're like, well, now I'm home again. (laughs) Not that home isn't great, but you know, Hawaii is also great. So anyway, um, yeah. And obviously, and I think you cover that stuff really well in the book. Um, so who of the, your characters was your favorite to write? And as a follow-up, like, how much of Tegan, your main character, is based <coughs> on you? Yeah, I think um, probably my favorite character trait was Kai. Um, he is based on my husband, um, which people have told me, oh my gosh, Kai is like, the dream guy. And I, I am super lucky. Um, my husband's getting a little bit of a big ego though, <laughs> with all these comments, you know, <laughs> Kai is based on him, but I am really lucky. Um, and so writing about Kai, um, I, I think I just felt so much love for Kai from the very beginning because he just, he's, he's based on my, my husband. Um, and I just am so fond of him. And so he was really fun to write. And it almost felt like revisiting our, the early days of, of our love story, you know, when we were first falling in love, um, writing Kai and Tegan's love story. Um, Tegan does have some of me in her. I think all of my characters do. I, there were certain things I tried to make different that, uh, from me, like Tegan loves science and math, even though those subjects were not my favorite in school. Um, but it was fun to try to mine some, some of that part of her personality. And she also thinks of herself as, as being very like brave and fearless. And, you know, she she never cries, um, which is very different from me. I can worry and I, I definitely am very emotional. Um, and so I think I, I have a lot of, there's a lot of me in her, but there were certain things that I was trying um, to make her different from me as well. 
So they were both really fun to write. And I, I also always enjoy about the writing process, seeing how characters really come to life. And at the beginning, it feels like I'm creating them. But partway through the story towards the end, it feels like they are revealing new things about themselves to me and they are growing and changing and kind of acting on their own, which is just for me, one of my favorite parts of the creative writing process. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting to kind of see how characters develop over the course of while you're writing something. And then kind of by the time you get to the end, very often they've revealed, you know, they started in one place and you kind of fully realized who they are by the time you finish. Um, and something else that I tend to do, and I, for me, I have to wait until I'm completely done with a book to do this. And I want to know how it works for you. But when I'm completely done with a book, I literally go through scene by scene and I figure out when it happened in terms of a timeline, like what day of the week, could it have been a weekend? Did they need to be in school? Is it October? Like how, and then after that, I figure out, okay, well then how many months did my book take place on and and how long did it take these relationships to develop? Is that realistic? Do I need to go back and tweak things, right? But your book takes place over the course of one week, um, which I have not, I've never yet conquered that particular challenge. So I really want to hear all about what that was like how that was as a writer, like how do you approach a book that takes place all in one week? It kind of reminds me of like Romeo and Juliet, which takes place in like four days and always kind of blew my mind. So I want to know about that. Yeah. Yeah. I've never written um, a book with such a tight timeline before. And I think one of the challenges of it was trying to show a change in the characters, like show this growth happening, show this narrative arc and these character arc. Um, over such a short amount of time. Um, but the days are all so full that um, it does feel to me when I was writing it and maybe to the reader as well, it, it does feel like longer than a week has passed. I think emotionally for the characters, it's like, it's it's one of those weeks. But it also reminds me of when you are on vacation. I do feel like um, when you're seeing a new place, doing these new things, like time does um, pass differently in our awareness of time. And I can travel somewhere for a week and I feel like, oh my gosh, that seemed so much longer than a week um, that I just would spend at home. So I think there were those two things going on. Um, But then as far as organizing the book, I'm not too much of an outliner, um, but I did have sort of a vague outline of what would happen each day of the week. Um, And so it kind of, it kept me on track as I was writing, but while still giving me a lot of freedom because each day is, is quite a long chapter, like a lot of pages to play around with and find out uh, some discoveries with the characters. But it kind of um, just gave me a little sense of as I was going, like what was coming next. So it helped me stay organized. That's good. Yeah, I think my book takes place in the pl- in like within a couple weeks and or maybe three at the most. But like, it's very, like you know, it's always tough to figure out where the timeline is and I think I guess unless you do it up front which perhaps you did I don't know is that is that true that you you kind of knew going in that it was going to be yeah I kind of I kind of knew it was going to be a week um but some some things some days did swap around and at the beginning I I had some days that were blank like I don't know what's going to happen on Thursday. Like, we'll just, you know, we'll just hopefully something will come to mind. Um, But I do like, like Allison pointed out here in the comments, it has some really fun. uh, Now the book's out in the world to hear people who were reading it and saying like, oh, I'm on, I'm on Monday. I'm on Thursday. Like I'm on Friday. It's just been a fun way to see where people are as opposed to having all the numbered chapters. Yeah, that's great. Um, Okay. So back to Hawaii stuff, because 
I don't know. I, that's stuff, stuff that resonates with me, I guess. But um, you have this part in the book where you talk, uh, sorry, where Tegan and Kai, they go snorkeling and they swim with a sea turtle. Um, they call them Hanu, I believe, in Hawaiian, which I think is great. And <laughs> I don't know why, but I do. And then, um, you know, I had some really fun times snorkeling with sea turtles myself. And I just got the impression from that scene that you had also. And so I was curious uh, if you had like a special sea turtle experience that you want to yes. tell us about. <laughs> Yeah, I did. Uh, one of my first times going snorkeling, we saw a sea turtle in Hawaii and it was just so magical. I just think sea turtles are really, um, it just really struck me as a really magical creature. I was amazed at how they look like they're swimming so slowly, but are actually swimming quite fast um, and how old they are. And just as Tegan reflects, like thinking that this could have been the same sea turtle that she and Kai saw when they were kids, you know, come back. Um, and I, I wanted throughout the book, there are certain um, animals and creatures that, that appear. And um, I, I guess I wanted them to be kind of um, like a, a, a thread in the book of um, providing some, uh, wisdom or connection for the characters. Often you'll notice in the book when Tegan will see an animal, whether it's the sea turtle or um, the geckos, um, or it, it causes her to have some deeper reflection. Um, and so I think that was also kind of where the, the sea turtle came into the story as well. Uh, it was a cool experience that I had in my life. And then I also wanted thematically, I thought as a symbol, the sea turtle was something neat to bring into the story yeah that's great and i love the other animals too the the gecko and then the 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 i can't remember the name of them but the fish that like climb up akaka falls uh yes Mm i never heard of them that was great no i love the yeah they're really neat I was just, I feel like that's one of those things that if you go snorkeling in Hawaii and you're lucky enough to see a sea turtle, it kind of really sticks with you. Um, mm-hmm. I saw some when I uh, went snorkeling with my now husband um, on our engagement trip. We were in Hawaii and we went snorkeling and we um, we saw sea turtles. And and I, that's one of those things that just like, once you see it, it stays. And so I think it works really well as a resonance symbol. Thank yeah, you. That's so that. neat that you saw them with your husband. Yeah, it was. Uh, so anyway, I just, I don't know. I love that. And I love the idea of that kind of being something you reflect on and being something that makes you think. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to ask you is, okay, so the books, like in the Murr Chronicle series, I knew the ending of each book from the get go, like before I put pen to paper or fingers to tie to, to keys, I knew what those books, book endings were going to be. Um, and I thought it would be like that for every project that I write. And then the most recent book that I, um, that I just finished, I changed the ending of the book partway through. Like I realized that it wasn't quite working and I made some tweaks, um, before I completed that project. And so without spoiling anything and without, you know, giving away anything, um, was the, was the ending of this book always what you envisioned as the ending or kind of did it meander a bit from, um, from what you thought it would be? It did meander a bit. Um, I, when I first got the idea, I thought it was, it was going to end differently. Um, and I've used this analogy before, I think on my podcast, but I'll say it again, that when I'm writing a novel, I feel, I, I always picture myself like swimming across this giant body of water. And it's like, I can see the shoreline on the other side 
kind of this like dim shoreline through the mist. But sometimes, like you're saying, Toby, I kind of veer off course or I, as I'm swimming, I end up somewhere different on the shoreline than I'm first shooting out going towards. Um, so this book was, was like that where partway through, I realized that I, it was going to end differently than I had originally thought it might end. But, um, to me, when I got to the end, it felt like this was the way the book was meant to end. Like this was inevitable, right? Yes. It had this inevitable feeling. So for me, that's, that's a sense of the right ending. Like it's not something that I, the writer, I'm trying to force. It's the ending that sort of comes up, uh, from the, from the project creatively. So I've, I've been pleased to hear that, uh, most people that I hear from really, um, love the ending. So that makes, I'm glad. I really like the ending. I have to say, oh, I, now you. I have to ask you when we get off, like, yeah, what right? yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to ask here because I don't want you to spoil anything for anybody. So. Um, all right. Well, one of the other themes that you have in the book is fear and that fear keeps the characters from kind of, from doing what they really are maybe destined to do. Um, and so for example, you have Tegan who's, uh, pushing away Kai for many years because she's like afraid of her feelings and, um, you know, Kai is also kind of worried about going to college because, of, you know, he'll have to leave home and it'll be, it's scary. So, um, I was curious, like, is what made you want to deal with fear, uh, as a theme? And if it's something that you've dealt in your own, with in your own life that you actually made, that you want to talk about in any, in any way, that's not too revealing. <laughs> if You don't want it to be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that fear is something that we all deal with in our lives and especially, um, when I was thinking about writing a love story, love is so amazing. And to me, it's just the heart of, of life. It's, it's like why we're here, but there's also a lot of fear wrapped up in loving someone as well. And it takes a lot of courage and bravery to open yourself up and to let yourself fall. Um, and to really love someone, you know, hugely and and bravely. And, um, I think to me too, it's wrapped up in loss. Like loving someone is really scary because at some point we're going to have to, you know, say goodbye. Um, we're going to lose them. And so to me, it's just a huge act of bravery to, to love. Um, and so that was what I wanted to be. One of the main themes of this book was this idea of, um, instead of pushing things away that we're afraid of, um, really embracing them and, um, that it's okay if we're afraid. It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to do that thing. And I think as a writer too, like if I'm talking about creative fear, if I have a project that makes me a little bit scared, it usually is a sign for me that that is the project I should be working on. Like it means that I am pushing myself, I'm stretching myself, you know, I'm growing through um, that project. So if I feel a little bit afraid, like, I don't know if I can write this to me, that is a sign to me that I should lean in and, um, you know, go all in on that project. Yeah, that's great. I agree. <laughs> Did we open it up, do you think, to um, some questions from the audience? Yeah, yeah absolutely. If people want to, um, you know, type in their questions, we would love to get questions from you guys. Absolutely. Please. Um, Maybe we'll just take like one or two more. Yeah, because I know I can't believe we're already almost at like 50 minutes. And so I have a few things to say, wrap up. I don't want to take up too much of people's time today. Thank you all so much for for being here, but maybe we could just take like one or two more questions. 
Or actually, I know we're doing a rapid fire round. So maybe um, maybe we should just do one yeah. more question and then yeah. the rapid fire round. Yeah, oh, it looks like uh, it looks like somebody uh, has their own question. So we can we can do that first and we can go and do some lightning round while everybody's typing up their questions. Yeah. And I wanted to say also, um, people, if you if you have the questions, if you write them in the Facebook group or on YouTube, um, if we don't get a chance to get to your question, I will I will answer it after this. Like I will type you an answer. So you'll get your question answered. Well, we have one, uh, which is that are the Hawaiian legends and lore true? Oh, that's from my dad. Hey, dad. Um, yes. So there are a variety of legends and lore from Hawaii in the book. It was really fun to research. Um, some of them, like the fish that climb up the waterfall, I learned um, just kind of by happenstance while I was um, in Hawaii or reading about Hawaii. Um, and then others, I did more research. But um, yes, they're all true. And it was such a, a rich, um, wonderful culture to learn about um, and to, to write about. It looks like um, uh, so we, have, we have a few more. Yeah. What do you guys think? Yeah, so let's see. We have, we were going to ask you this anyway. What projects can we get excited for next? What are you working on? Yeah. Yeah, I am working on another young adult novel right now. Um, like The Best Week That Never Happened, it also has a romance. Um, it has some mystery, some magic. It's, um, it is challenging me. I have multiple character perspectives in this book I'm working on. So The Best Week That Never Happened just takes place in Tegan's perspective. Um, besides, we have some emails from Kai interspersed throughout the book, but it's mainly in Tegan's voice. Um, the project I'm working on right now has two point of view characters that the chapter's alternate between them. So that's been a fun challenge. And um, it deals with the idea of parallel universes. So um, that's been really fun to research and to write about. And it takes place in um, a town that is based a lot on my hometown of Ventura. So another beach read. Parallel universes are one of my favorite things. So that sounds so interesting. Yeah, it's been really yeah. fun. It looks like Julie oh, wants cool. to know more about the editing process, which we haven't really talked about. So that, that that would be good to talk about. Yeah. Hey, Julie. Thanks for being here. Um, the editing process for me is always a really fruitful process. Um, I know some writers don't enjoy editing, but for me, it's like a neat challenge. I feel most nervous during the first draft of the book, but once I have the book, the first draft done, I feel excited to kind of dive back in and to try to make it even better and to make sure that... Um, that it's just the closest I can get to the book in my head, just the shining, perfect book in my head. Um, so for me, this this book went through, went through a lot of edits. Um, so I finished the first draft in about um, six months, and then I spent another um, year editing it before I got my literary agent, and then we edited it some together. And then when my publisher uh, bought the book, then we did like developmental edits and then finally you get to copy editing and proofreading. But it was amazing to me how each stage of the editing process, I felt like, okay, this is it. This is the best book I could write. Like it's the best it can get. It's done. And then I would get new suggestions, new ideas, new edits, and it would become even better. And even some of the things in the book, um, I don't want to say them to spoil what they are, but some like kind of big parts of the book uh, came when my publisher gave me some developmental edits and just stretched me and pushed me to... Um, make the book even better. And so I'm really grateful for the editing process. I think for me, the first draft, I have to not have any editing or critical voices in my head. I just have to get it out on the page. 
But then after that, having trusted friends and fellow writers to help me edit is such an important part of the process. Yeah, you really do grow with each stage and so does the book. Sorry. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, So, okay, we have a question from Amanda. How long did this, did the book take you to write? So yeah, it took me um, about six months to do the first draft. And then if you, I guess if you, which is, was pretty fast for me, actually, usually first drafts would take me longer, but with this book, I really committed to writing every single day um, and putting my creative time like first uh, in my schedule, making it a priority. And so uh, the book just really took off and took on a life of its own and the, the drafting process went a lot quicker. Um, and then, so I finished the first draft, took me a year to get my agent of editing. I edited that whole time. And then um, my publisher bought it in the summer of 2018. And then it you know, just came out. So um, it's been a long process <laughs> since I first got the idea for this book. Um, so yeah, it's just so exciting to have it out. Do you guys think we move on to the lightning round and I will answer other people's questions later. I just don't want to take up too much time from people. I can't believe we're already at, you know, 56 minutes in. So maybe we'll do the lightning round and then um, I'll answer other questions later. Sounds good. Jennifer, you want to start us off? Okay. Um, Hogwarts house. Oh, Hogwarts house. I would say, I would say Hufflepuff. Okay. Oh, cool. Another Hufflepuff. No, I'm not a Hufflepuff, but I like to know Hufflepuffs because I feel like I know fewer of them. Um, okay. Morning or night writer? Um, night. Except now my daughter gets me up really early. So morning, but preferred night. Gotcha. Tea or coffee? Tea. Green tea for sure. Must have writing snack. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's answering a trivia question. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll skip it. Okay. okay. <laughs> Book boyfriend. Book boyfriend. Uh, Kai. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, sweet or salty? Sweet. Music or silence while you write? Music. And actually, I forgot to mention, I have a playlist. If you um, go to my website or you search Spotify for the best week that never happened, it's the playlist that I was listening to while I was writing this book. Cool. So that's kind of cool. Okay. Pool or ocean? Ocean. Okay, and then ice cream or hollow hollow. Oh, hollow hollow. Nice. Yeah, I mean, both Yay. are great. That was <laughs> fun. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to you both. I really love celebrating with you. And everyone should check out Toby's Mer Chronicles and Jenica's Dangerous Alliance. They're amazing. Thank you, Dallas. Thanks so much for having us. We're so happy to celebrate with you. And thank excited you. that the best week that ever happened is out in the world. Yay! Yay! Yay. Thank you both. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much for spending time with me today on Overflowing Bookshelves. If you enjoy this podcast, it would mean so much if you take a few minutes to write a review on iTunes or Stitcher to help other writers and book lovers find out about us. If you are kind enough to share this episode on social media, be sure to tag me at Dallas Woodburn Author on Instagram or Facebook. I love to surprise my listeners with fun prizes like free books and other literary swag. Also, I would love to hear your thoughts on the show and your ideas for future guests. Please visit my website, DallasWoodburnAuthor.com to connect with me and offer your suggestions. Until next time, happy reading.